You're listening to The Lindsay Gowan Show, where I get to sit down with women who are crushing it in business, leadership, entrepreneurship, and my favorite topic, real estate investing. I'm sure today's episode is going to leave you inspired, so let's get right to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Lindsay Gowan Show. I am so excited for today's episode. We're getting into the hot topic of mortgages. So I'm sure you guys are going to get a lot out of this. Make sure that you guys are subscribed to the podcast so that you can see any future episodes coming up and you don't miss those hot topic conversations that we're going to have. But today I'm joined by Christina and Kim from the Vine Group, and they are across the country. So So we get different perspectives, um, one in Ontario and one in Alberta. So it's really great to have two different perspectives, both coming from the mortgage industry, but I'm going to hand it over to you guys to introduce yourself. I'll hand it to Christina first. Let us know who you are, uh, where you're working from and what got you into the mortgage world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us, Lindsay. So as uh, Lindsay mentioned, my name is Christina Pentlachuk, and I am an independent mortgage agent with the Vine Group uh, through Mortgage Alliance and um, in the Southern Ontario region. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that area here. And just from a background perspective, I have been in the finance industry since like right out of high school in the banking world. And throughout that career in various different roles, I found that my my happy place, the place that I thrived the most was when I was helping clients with mortgage financing. And um, so a number of years ago, I had delved specifically into that area. And then about three years ago is when I decided to become an independent agent and how I found uh, Vine Group and Mortgage Alliance. And that's what brings me here today. Awesome. And now I'll kick it over to Kim. Hey, everybody. Thanks again, Lindsay. Um, Yeah, so with myself, like like Christina had mentioned, we both actually come from banking backgrounds. So I actually worked at TD, uh, been in the business here for about uh, 14 years. And um, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, you guys. That's okay. That's the right changes, right? <laughs> They're coming oh in. Oh my gosh. Anyways, okay. So guys, um, yeah, as mentioned and stuff like that. Again, been in the business for 14 years. Um, shortly after working at TD, I realized as an investor myself too, I really wanted to get into mortgages. Um, so I've been with Vine Group now for six years and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so great to have you both on to give a different perspectives. Does it, uh, do you have to work with someone in the same province? Do you suggest working with someone in the same province as the property that you're buying? I think like, so, so Christina, I'll take this one first. I think it really depends, right? That's like our favorite word in the finance industry. It depends. Right? I think you coined that phrase, Kim. <laughs> so, I'm like, I should have it like copyrighted or something. And I, I think it depends because I'll give you guys a good example, right? Um, sometimes if you are looking at buying locally here in Alberta, and, and I've seen that huge interest. I've seen a lot of you know people from the GTA, just or just in Ontario in general, coming over to invest in Alberta. Um, and even clients out in BC coming into Alberta to invest 
there are pros and cons because again, um, you know, depending on the actual advisor that you're working with, they may have different access to different lenders, right? And, and the most common thing I get asked is, well, Kim, like maybe if I go towards you, you'll be able to work with like a local credit unit. But our rules are a little bit different compared to Ontario because I know Christina and I have had this conversation where some credit unions here in Alberta, they will only work with um, clients who actually live and actually work in Alberta, right? So sometimes, you know, credit unions can be really good because they do a lot of out of the box financing. And, and that's why I know sometimes with the Ontarian mindset, they're like, yeah, my credit union has done so much for me. But, you know, it's a little backwards when you come to Alberta, because if you want to work with our local credit union, you actually have to live and work here. So they need to see that, um, you know, on your tax returns, you are paying Alberta taxes. <laughs> Whereas I think, Christina, it's a little different on your end, right, with your uh, local credit unions? Absolutely. They base it more on the property location um, being in the vicinity of that credit union, right? So it's not necessarily that the individual is residing in that property. It's just the property is close to the credit union. So yeah, you're right. It does make a difference. That's awesome. And it's good to have perspective and you guys communicating even amongst yourself to know that. And you've got a lot larger reach to by collaborating with other mortgage uh, professionals in different industries, even though you are independent yourself. Uh, it's great to have that collaborative mindset. So that's really what um, we kind of all connect on, right, is that collaboration over competition. And um, yeah, there's enough to go around. So I, I love that mindset. Um, let's get into interest rates. <laughs> what is going on with interest rates? You guys heard the uh, ping. That's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And I mean, I think I'll just uh, take this over here and say that, you know, we're, we're not done with the increases to interest rates, it's uh, it's going to be a buckle up and hang in for the ride here, and it really comes down to being able to make sure that you're talking to that mortgage professional and getting the right kind of advice, because we really need to understand your goals, goals with the property, your comfort level with risk, your comfort level with if you have a variable rate mortgage, an increasing payment because they are going to continue to increase over the next year, at least. Um, we have that in the forecast, we're working that into the models and we're having good conversations with clients and saying, okay, so you know, on average, every quarter percent increase, your mortgage is increasing by at least $13 for every $100,000 of mortgage that you have. So if rates increase by X and your mortgage is this, are you comfortable with this much of a monthly increase to your payment? Can you so afford that? And if not, what are the alternatives and how long should we be looking at? Um, and I will just say just to, from based on what our uh, uh, economics are kind of talking about and what we're kind of looking and forecasting at is if you're not really comfortable with that variable rate mortgage and that increasing payment, we probably should look at something around a two or a three year time frame on a fix as opposed to going for five years because interest rates are cyclical, right? And we're going to see that they're going to go through that cycle and then eventually they're going to come back down again. And the biggest thing that we often see is in, the, in those scenarios, the rates start coming back down and people say, oh, I want to take advantage of these lower interest rates. But if they've locked in for that five year time frame they run the risk of having a really huge penalty to break that fixed rate mortgage and taking advantage of those lower reducing interest rates. So we wanna make sure that we're planning accordingly based on the client's objectives and comfort levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I think like to add to Christina's note too, is that I always tell my clients, like, especially my investor clients, especially those who are in the variable rate, you know, they're getting all these phone calls from their bank saying that, Hey, you want to lock it? Rates are rising. <laughs> look at the news, all this. But you also have to remember that a bank is still a business. Okay. Everyone forgets that a bank is still a business. So mark those words. And, you know, the, the, sometimes, you know, it bothers me because they get clients into these scare tactics where they're like, yeah, you know what, go into a five-year term. Don't worry. It's going to skyrocket. It's going to go to 8%, 9%. And like, you know, as a consumer, if you don't do your due diligence, you don't do your homework, you don't know any better. You're like, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'll do the five years. But again, like, again, like what Christina said, everything is cyclical in two, three years time frame, you're going to kick yourself in the butt and be like, oh my goodness, rates are going down. I want to break this mortgage. And what happens when you break a fixed rate? You pay an arm and a leg and a kidney as a penalty. So <laughs> like it's, you know, it's a business, right? Banks are still a business. So right. mindful of that. Exactly. And I think that's why it's so important who you work with in general, just in everything. Like it, your team is so important. Having the right professionals on your team can guide you through these times, uh, can lay out everything, all your options. And I think that's where I've had clients that have been locked into terms where they didn't even understand what they were signing. So they're so important to have that education piece. And I know both of you guys practice that in your business that you are educating the consumer and it's so important when you're going into that um, term to understand all of the optics because rate is definitely not the only thing that matters right it's the same with real estate price is not the only thing that matters there's so many different um, variables here that are um, to be factored in it's the penalty that you're paying it's the term um, we'll get into a 25 year versus 30 year amortization there are so many different different things that your mortgage professional is looking out for you on if you're picking the right one. So um, I think that that's very important. I did have a question. Are interest rates pretty much the same across Canada? Pretty much. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know about you, Christina, but I can tell you like my local credit unions, their price pretty thanks um, to our monoline lenders, which for those of you who may or may not know, monoline lenders are still mortgage lenders. They're not B lenders or anything like that. They just provide mortgages only. But I think on my side, regionally, it's pretty much uh, the same across the board. What about you, Christina? Yeah, I would definitely say they're within a small variance, um, you know, uh, between a couple of 0.2 or 1.1% here or there on either side of rates across the board with the different um, traditional A lenders, right? But what you find is the differences are on how they calculate penalty, what their prepayment privileges are. There's other little nuances that um, can make it a differentiating factor on what you want to have as information when deciding on which lender to be able to choose. Awesome. Um, I know the hot topic and big question right now, which I think Kim is going to respond, probably Christina as well. It depends, right? So variable versus fixed. What should people be doing right now? Um, I know you're going to give me it depends, but let me know your thoughts. <laughs> okay. I think, I think I'll, I'll, for me anyways, uh, yes, it does depend. <laughs> but I think for me as an investor, the way that I see it, 
I've always been a variable gal, like day in and day out. I don't, and, and it's just like, it's not because historically it has shown to beat the market, but again, with great risk comes great reward. So you got to be okay with hanging in there for the good and the bad times, right? Like it's not going to be perfect all, um, you know, the whole way through, but you know, one of the reasons why I personally pick the variable as an investor, just looking at, you know, putting on my investor hat is because you never know what can happen with your investment. And with a variable rate, if let's say something happens to my investment where I need to get out of it, I need to get rid of this property for whatever reason, X, Y, Z, penalty is only three months interest. That's a very easy pill to swallow, right? And, and whereas if you were to take a fixed rate, even though you have the intentions of keeping it long-term, like I said, you know, that high penalty really, really does eat into your profit. So that's kind of like the way that I see it in terms of uh, as an investment. But Christina, what do you think? Absolutely. I'll agree with Kim that I'm a huge proponent of variable. Uh, I've been variable all my life and all of my mortgages and the flexibility that it offers, never mind the the interest rate um, advantage that it typically provides or historically has provided, I think, except for one period over um, every kind of you know five-year installment when you're looking at the history, variable rate has already, always won. Um, now, we may be entering into a little bit of a time where that scale is a little bit uh, skewed or tipped, but let me just kind of lay out this scenario right now. So prime rate is 3.2. Even if you had a prime minus a half a percent mortgage, you're 2.7% as an interest rate. A typical five-year right now is, as a five-year fixed, is about 4.5%. So really, prime has to go from 3.2 up to 5% to get to that 4.5% interest rate that you would have as a fixed. But it's going to take time for it to do that. So rates are going to continue to increase as prime rate goes up. But because your rate is still lower than that current fixed rate environment, you're still saving interest cost on that mortgage. Plus, as Kim mentioned, if you had to break that mortgage um, and needed to pay a penalty on it, that variable rate, that three-month interest cost is going to be significantly less, up to 900% less than what you would have as a fixed interest rate penalty cost if you were breaking that mortgage. So you've gotta be comfortable with the risk of knowing that that payment's increasing, but ultimately it's only coming to a level where that current fixed rate environment is right now. Even if it goes a little bit past, you're still going to in the long-term likely come out ahead. But again, if that comfort, if you can't sleep at night, that it that is the where it kind of comes down to can if it's giving you stress then it's not worth being in it right and then that's where we're going to talk about your goals and and um the time frame so we're probably going to suggest something more of a two or a three-year fixed time frame because again we think those rates are going to be cyclical and they'll be on the way back down and we want to put you in a position that you're not going to have that huge high penalty amount to pay and but still allow you to be in a position to take advantage of those decreasing rates when they eventually come around again. I love it. It's that's such good advice from both um both of you there and I think that you've given our uh, listeners and viewers some great advice especially I feel the same on variable. Um there's risk and reward with that and the amount that you save up front by taking a variable as you said with the fixed rates being so much higher is definitely um great and just the flexibility because I think a lot of people that locked into mortgages in the last couple years like say let's go pre-COVID someone locks into a mortgage because they think that the market's going to crash because of COVID imagine like the amount of 
equity that they could have access to um, by refinancing and not paying such a large penalty if they were variable. So um, I think there's a lot of great advice there. Uh, what do you guys predict? I know crystal ball. Um, what, what has, what have they been saying for June 1st? I know there's a lot of hype around the next kind of, uh, mortgage, um, increase interest rate increase. What are your thoughts? Go ahead, Christina, you take it away. <laughs> All right. Oh my gosh. Put me on the spot. Don't quote me. Oh wait, you are. <laughs> That's okay. So I mean, based on the economic outlook and what they're forecasting and top economists are talking about is a half of a percent increase coming for June and probably still another half of a percent increase after that. So that's up to a 1% increase to the prime rate. Um, so it's, it's again, taking a look at knowing that that's what's coming and finding where your comfort level is. So if you're concerned a little bit about that, one of the strategies that we recommend is being able to talk to your mortgage professional and perhaps um, checking out a couple of different strategies. One is whether or not you wanna lock into that shorter term fixed rate option. But the second is maybe there's room in your mortgage to refinance it back out to a 30 year amortization. And the benefit of doing that, and I know it sounds scary, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have a mortgage for 30 years, However, the benefit to that is that it does reduce that mortgage um, cash flow payment, right? That monthly payment obligation. And that may be just enough to help you ride out where the, those rate increases are going so that um, you can be able to balance and budget that a little bit more effectively. Mm -hmm. I agree with Christina as well too. So my sentiments come June 1st, expect that, right? There's just, it's, the, the odds of it not happening is very slim, <laughs> but you never, you never know, right? Never say never. But right now though, the odds are really in the favor of a 50 points increase. Now for the rest of the year though, I do predict some more increases as well, but it's tough to say, cause I feel like in our economy right now, like th there's so much change is happening. I know the one thing that is for sure certain is, you know, May is right around the corner and for sure we will see an increase then but afterwards though it's going to be another wait and see tactic is how I feel because if there's more development like in terms of more supply chain issues or if inflation is still going crazy um, like I said you know expect more drastic measures I'm sure Bank of Canada has mentioned that as well too like they said they said flat out that uh, yes you know be prepared right like we're we are prepared to do what it needs uh, what needs to be done to to tackle that uh, that issue that we have right now. Yeah. And I think that preparation is so important in any aspect of real estate investing, of purchasing uh, just across the board, being prepared for those situations, especially if they're forecasting it. So not hiding from it, not saying, oh, it's not going to happen, knowing that it is it planning for worst case scenario and then being happy. It's the exact same thing with the way that appreciation has been in Ontario for the last two years. It's It's been wild. I think it was um, in all of Ontario, the average home price has gone up 52%. That is wild. You can never bank on that. Um, so never expecting that, but being pleasantly surprised when it happens. So I think the same um, with mortgages, planning for the worst and um, then going from there. With um, variable mortgages, is it always the payment is always changing or is there other ways to structure variable mortgages where your payment might stay the same, but your length of mortgage um, increases. I'd, is that something that happens? 
Yeah. So, uh, so I'll touch base on that and then Christina add on to it. I know. So there's two different types of variable rate payments, right? So with majority of lenders, what we have is called an adjustable variable rate, where if uh, prime rate changes, your payment too will change, right? Um, so that's, that's one version. There's another one called a static variable rate mortgage. Now there's only a few select lenders that do offer this. And the way that it works is if the variable rate does change, so if Bank of Canada increases the prime lending rate, um, yes, your interest rate will change. However, your payment still remains the same. It's just the allocation between principal and interest that changes. But be warned though. So as an investor, I know a lot of my clients like the static variable rate because again, it's the same payment. Um, so they kind of know, like just for cash flow purposes, they know exactly what's going to be taken out. But just be warned though, so like under this method, if rates do rise too fast and you're outside of your obligated amortization, you could get a pretty nasty bank saying, hey, like you're a little behind. <laughs> so what we need you to do is come in and to do like a lump sum payment or whatever the case may be. But uh, that's kind of what we have here in the Canadian market. I don't think anything's different with credit unions either, right, Christina, on, on your end? No. And so what Kim's referring to is what's called a trigger rate. Right. So if the payment stays static um, and interest rates are rising, your amortization is extending beyond its original commitment. And so all banks will have in the mortgage commitment what's something that's called a trigger rate. So if rates hit this level and it's different for it's specific to everybody's mortgage, um, if it hits this level, then they're going to make a call and they're going to ask you to be able to increase that payment to be able to bring that amortization in line. So being aware of what that trigger rate is, is super important to understanding your mortgage commitment and the impact that it's going to have on you financially. Awesome. And I know that uh, you talk about mortgages like a game of chess. So um, for investors that are trying to get lots of mortgages, eventually they're thinking about building um, a larger portfolio. Why are mortgages like a game of chess? You have to be like the reason why I say it's like a game of chess is because every lender has different policies, right? And and you have to work those policies in your favor because there's some that will say, listen, you know, you can get five mortgages total anywhere, right? And and, and we'll help you with that as long as you have five rental properties anywhere. You know, we'll, we'll help you finance. But there's certain lenders that say, you know, if you you're capped out if you have five, right? Like like there's different policies that come into play. Um, and there's certain lenders that don't care how many that you have. And but the thing is, is that if you go with them, they'll only give you an additional five rental properties. So it's more so of knowing like which lender to use where and when, because if you went to a lender that had no door limits, like they didn't care if you had five other mortgages with let's say TD Bank, you know, they'll say, yeah, that's great, right? We'll just give you like another five. But if you were to do the vice versa, where you went with like a said lender that caps you out. And then um, after that, you know, you hit the financing wall, you work with a broker, work with your mortgage professional, you know, that's where it gets really challenging because there's not a lot of other lenders that you can approach. That's why you got to pay it like a, a chess game, right? You have to be very strategic and, but it really does depend on your goals. Like if your goal is just to only own maybe 10 properties, then again, we don't have to be as strict with the chess game, but if you want to have the best financing, you want to grow to 20 properties or more, or whatever the case is, is like I said, there's, there's a whole movement that you need to do in order to maximize your portfolio. Otherwise you're going to run into high interest rates, you're going to run to uh, the financing wall where you can't do anything and you're forced to basically sell your properties or refinance and break it. It's just a lot more money that's involved to, to get yourself 
re, like, like a reset again is, is essentially what I'm trying to say. Definitely. And that's so important to, again, work with a mortgage broker that has so many different options, right? You're not just working with one bank. You have so many different options. So maybe take us through the different options. So if we have anyone that are beginner investors, what are the type of lenders that you have access to that say one A bank will not approve you? You're having some struggles getting approved. What are your other options? Uh, Christina, you want to take this one? Yeah, so I was going to say the um, the first one to five properties, again, in that chess game is sticking with the lenders that have that um, five property kind of maximum. So we want to take advantage of, you know, their great rates and being strategic about it means that we're not going to kind of nitpick over, oh, this lender has a, a 0.1 or a 0.2% better rate than this lender we're actually doing it based on strategy of, you know, which lenders we need to kind of put place each of the properties with in order to achieve the maximum number of properties that you can be able to do, right? And so also when we're looking at these properties, we're, we're also looking at the idea of being able to have them um, positively cash flow as much as possible to be able to, again, maximize uh, the amount of financing that we can get in each of these multiple properties that you want to be able to build within your portfolio. So we do really need to kind of plan um, accordingly for that because we take into consideration not only your income and your debts, but also the property, the rental properties that we're adding in and the cash flow uh, that, that those properties itself are generating. And then um, being able to move that in with each of those different lenders to be able to get the ideal plan put together for you. Awesome. Kim, I'm gonna let you take over from there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. go ahead, Kim. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I was just saying like, Christina is absolutely correct, right? Um, as you build your portfolio, it's so true. Like cash flow is so, so important because, you know, when you get to your sixth, seventh, eighth door, that's the thing. Like lenders are now treating you as a business. They're taking, they're taking a look at you as an actual serious investor and they want to make sure, do you know what it is that you're doing? Because if cash flow is, is not there, you're going to run into so many hoops and challenges with financing. And it's not to say that it can't be done. It's just, you're not going to get the optimal financing solutions, meaning you're not going to be able to tap into, you know, the low interest rates that big banks are providing. And maybe you have to go into a B lender now that doesn't care too much about cash flow. But again, like, it is, does it make sense to go with a B lender? Because your interest rates are going to be significantly higher than what you could have received with a, a regular bank or a credit union, right? So those are kind of the things to keep in mind. But, but you know, anyone that is running into challenges, sometimes it's just a matter of reworking and restructuring what you currently have, right? I find usually that's a key, like, we'll be what Christina and I do anyways is for all clients, all of our investor clients, we like to do a pre-position where it's not a pre-approval, it's pre-position so that way, you know, when you find the right opportunity, when you find the right investment property, you can pull the trigger knowing that you can get financing in place. Like we'll set out certain criteria that you need to uh, look for, right? And cash flow is one of them. Um, the other thing as well, too, is when we do a pre-position review, we're taking a look not only at, you know, your personal income and your debts, we're also taking a look at your entire portfolio. If there's things that need to be changed. This is the time to do it, right? You want to make the changes before you go out and buy. You don't want to buy first. It's, it's the same thing with a client buying uh, their first home, right? You want to get pre-approved essentially before you say, hey, like, I like this home. I'm going to put an offer on it. Then, you know, you realize you can't buy it because you can't qualify. And then I become dream crusher. Kim, that's not a good thing. You want to be pre-positioned. Okay. That's, that's a big thing. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think again, like why another reason it's so great to work with mortgage brokers is you're seeing the whole picture. You're seeing the whole portfolio. You're doing portfolio reviews on everything. Maybe it makes sense to refinance one property. Maybe it makes sense not to refinance another because then that sets you up for disaster on the next one. Uh, so just understanding the whole picture where there is some equity to um, take and maybe redeploy into something else, I think is so important. Um, but talk to us about refinancing versus a HELOC payment. And for anyone that's new to investing, HELOC is home equity line of credit. I'm sure you guys are going to get to that anyway. But what's the difference? What do you guys recommend when and where? I think, um, so refinancing with a HELOC, it, it, that's what you're asking, right, Lindsay? Or two or two separate um, segments? Separate, because I, I know I have some clients coming to me asking, should they do a refinance or should they do a HELOC kind of? You know, essentially it means the same thing. So anytime, yeah. So anytime you actually pull money out, so pull equity out from an existing property, that's considered a refinance, right? So whether the funds are allocated towards a full mortgage or a HELOC component, it's still considered a refinance. So it's just, I think where it boils down and Christina, feel free to jump in on this too, is that some clients like to refinance and have it as a whole mortgage component because then some of the benefits is you're paying principal and interest and you are getting a slightly better interest rate if you were to bundle it up as one whole mortgage okay whereas some clients will leave their existing mortgage and they'll refinance and they'll get like a, a separate division like a separate component which is a HELOC now the pros to that is if you have a separate division with, with as a HELOC you know you get to choose where and when to use the home equity line of credit right when you pull it out that's when you pay interest on it but if you just leave it stagnant you don't touch it then again there's no interest that's paid but if you were to refinance finance it all as a mortgage yes you are getting a lower interest rate but keep in mind like that money is taken out right away like you need to be able to put that money to work essentially like day one otherwise you're paying interest yeah you've got to have a plan christina anything to add there yeah no absolutely kim did a great job in being able to explain just the difference of how the two go um, what I would do is say is that in terms of some strategies that people will look at is it depends on the, the property it is that you're refinancing itself too. If that's your primary residence where you're living, um, perhaps then what you have to keep in mind is that your own mortgage is not a tax deductible expense, right? That interest cost. And so it does need to kind of be separated. So if you're refinancing, say your primary residence, and taking that extra money and using that as a down payment to be able to do a rental property purchase, you might not necessarily want to lump that all into the existing mortgage. It's going to make it a bit of a nightmare. about that, exactly. So oftentimes clients will use that home equity line of credit strategy to help keep the um, down payment funds using for a rental property separate so that they can be able to have that interest accumulation cost that they can report appropriately to the accountant. Now we get really kind of deep into the, the weeds here. Some products that exist out there allow for multiple mortgage segments and multiple lines of credit segments. And so while you can still have your, your primary owner occupied mortgage financing that's not tax deductible there, but then you can create another mortgage segment set up with its own terms and conditions and principal and interest payments and have that structured as a mortgage to be able to allocate towards that rental property. And it's creating that, um, that interest 
statement at the end of the year for the tax deductions that your accountant will really appreciate having it built out that way. Awesome. I always like tax tips because that I always feel like that's over my head anyway. So it's great when other industries can give you kind of advice about that too, because you're all working in tandem with each other, right? It's a whole process. It's the whole team. And when you can understand different industries within that, it just makes all the better. So that's great. Um, talk to us about, I know we initially talked about the um, different amortizations. So the 25 versus 30, um, if you want to talk about the pros and cons of each, that would be great. Christina? Oh, yeah, me yeah. or Christina? <laughs> okay, sounds good. So I, I think um, that pros and cons. So if we are looking, so again, I speak from an investor standpoint, because again, it's, that's, you know, what I deal with. I'm an investor myself um, in the market right now, anyways, and this is very apparent. So you'll see that there's always going to be two different types of interest rates for a client. So usually you'll find that if you take a 25 year amortization, you'll get a little bit of a lower interest rate. If you want to take a 30 year amortization, there is a little bit of a rate premium and that rate premium can go anywhere. I think Chris you know, a 10 to 20 basis points, give or take, right? Depending on the lender. Now, it may seem like a lot, but when you break down the math, like especially when it comes to having like the most optimal cash flow, cash flow on your rentals, like when it comes to a rental property, for sure, I always say, even though there's a rate premium, take the 30 year amortization, like you have to take it. Because again, if you're looking at the big picture where you want to grow your portfolio, eventually lenders are going to want to, you know, dissect each and every one of your rental properties to make sure that it's, it's cash flowing, right. And, and in order to do that, you want to keep your payments as low as possible, which means getting a longer amortization. All right. So, so there is a premium. And I always say from an investor standpoint, take it, especially on your rental properties. Now, when it comes to like a primary residence though, that's where, there's two sides of looking at it. Number one, you could go down the 30-year amortization because again, cash flow um, for your own personal cash flow purposes, especially as Christina mentioned, in a rising rate environment, right? It may be good for you to kind of stretch that loan a little bit longer so you can absorb those increases. Um, you know, keep your payments as low as possible, right? So that could be a really good strategy. But um, on the other hand, too, as a primary residence, you know, 25 years could make sense because if you're getting a, you know, a seal of a deal that may uh, that may make sense for you because again, it's not your primary residence isn't tax deductible anyway. So if you have the budget that allows you to kind of, um, you know, afford the 25 year amortization, just know you're, you're paying off your mortgage a lot faster. Right. But, but again, pros and cons to both. And I think one other thing to kind of note as well too, is under a primary residence, like if you are again, looking into growing your portfolio, the mortgage that you have on your primary residence, it may also be beneficial to take a 30 year because it will help you in qualifying as well too, right? So even though you think the 25 years that you can afford and stuff, just longer term picture, like if you have the ideas of potentially, you know, buying rentals in the future, you want to keep your payments nice and small. So, but there's other mm. things that you could do to uh, take advantage, like lump sums, right, Christina? Oh. That's exactly what I was going to say. So I'm a huge proponent of saying, take the 30 year, <laughs> even with the, the slight rate premium increase on it, take the 30 year because there are strategies that you can execute by doing double up payments or lump sum payments towards your mortgage to be able to achieve that actual objective of the shorter amortization that you might have as a goal. The key difference is, is those extra payments are not payment obligations. And so when you're looking at a credit bureau, 
what is reported as the minimum required payment to the lender is based on that original 30-year amortization. And that is the amount that is being used when we're doing any future mortgage qualifications on those rental properties, et cetera. If you have the personal cash flow to be able to do those extra payments, that's fantastic. That's saving you interest. That's reducing your amortization. And that's wonderful, but it's not going to hinder your rental portfolio as you're trying to grow that out. That's amazing. These are such good tips. And I think um, we've already been on for like 35 minutes and the time has flown by. So I'm going to get into just like a quick top tip kind of round. Either of you can take it um, just for, I know our first time home buyers are struggling in this market. So let's do top tips for getting higher approvals. Awesome. Go ahead, Kim. Oh, okay. Um, my top tip is if you're shopping with a bank, don't stop there, right? You, you have to work with a mortgage professional. That's, that's my biggest tip, right? A lot of first-time home buyers or clients looking to get their first investment property, you're, you're, you're always triggered that, oh, I bank at so-and-so. I'm just going to go back to my bank and see what they can do. But you need to know that by working with a mortgage professional, especially a mortgage agent, mortgage broker, we have access to over 65 different lenders. And just know that while one bank may say no, another bank may say yes, because there's different policies. Not all banks are created equally. So, so that would be my biggest um, tip, just because, you know, don't just go to your bank. Like you have to shop around, right? You got to know all your different options. And even if you have an approval already with your bank and you want a little bit more, um, having a second advice or a second opinion, there's nothing wrong with that. And I highly encourage that. Absolutely. And I'll add there on uh, tips to be able to take a look at is the property that you're looking at. Don't look at it for the property that it is, but the property that it can become. So gone are the days, I think, of where a single detached home will positively cash flow uh, based on, you know, the mortgage payments that you're going to have on that. So is that property, does that property have the potential to be able to add in another suite that has, you know, that full kitchen, full bathroom, separate entrance that will allow you now to generate two levels of income from that property. And that's where working with a fantastic uh, investor real estate agent that can see that potential will really work to your benefit to be able to help you with those um, mortgage qualifications. Because again, it's the potential that can come out of that property, not as it sits, as you see it. That's awesome. And yeah, that's one of my top tips too, for people starting um, concerned about where the market's going. The market, if you can find something that helps you pay your mortgage every month so that you don't have to um, risk losing the property during that time or having to sell it during that time, that's where you lose in a down market, right? Is having to sell it. So if you can find something, um, I look to what my sister did, just did. She bought a duplex. She's living in the lower unit and upstairs she has a four bedroom. So that unit is already bringing in $2,100 a month. In Toronto, she was living there and she was paying I think 2,400 for a 600 square foot apartment. Now she has like a much lower payment and um, 
she's building equity. She's into the market. She was a first time home buyer and her boyfriend always says he just didn't know how he was going to get into the real estate market. So um, I think that's a great example of one getting a higher approval because they got into a better neighborhood because of what that property was bringing in. And then just, they're not worried about where the market's going as a person, like as your primary resident or primary residence, um, you're house hacking. So you're able to do that. So I think that that's a very great tip. Um, okay, next one. Top tip for increasing your credit score. Ooh, my favorite credit scores. Yeah. I love this one. I think that my top tip is utilization. Okay. So again, people really, really underestimate utilization. And, and what that means is if you've got a credit card and your limit is let's say 5,000, try to not utilize 50%, um, try not to go over 50% of, uh, of that utilization. So if your limit is 5,000, try not to go above 2,500. I always say, keep your balances below that. Try to make more frequent payments if you can, but the utilization is key. Don't have it hovering where every month, you're always owing like 4,900 or 4,800. If you're above the 50% utilization, you'll see that your score isn't growing as fast as it should be. So it's either, you know, if your, your balance is always around the 4,900, it's either A, you increase your credit limit. And again, make sure, you know, you don't spend to that, to that amount. You got to use it responsibly. Or like I said, if you know, just bring it back down uh, below the 50% utilization. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest tips in terms of uh, keeping a good credit score is the, the percentage of usage on those uh, revolving credit cards. Also, um, inquiries do affect you over the short term. So if you keep applying for um, all these different cards or uh, lines of credit limits and things like that, each of those inquiries over the short term will have a, an impact on your overall credit score as well. But the other thing that keeps a trend towards um, being able to calculate a credit score is the number of credit products that you do have. And our lenders do like to see at least a minimum of two, what we call trade lines. So two pieces of revolving credit, whether that's a credit card or a line of credit or one of each um, kind of deal with over a $2,000 limit for both of those items. And so that's where that's going to provide enough history for us to be able to take a look at and generate a good solid um, credit score that we can then be able to utilize to be able to be that frame of reference for the mortgage financing that we're looking to get you set up on. Awesome. Okay, next one is top tips for an investor that's starting. They don't have any investments yet and they're wanting to build a larger portfolio. Mm, Fantastic. Yeah, Christina, you start this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I think if they're existing homeowners and they've been homeowners in the market, even for just simply the last two years, they've seen a lot of appreciation in the value of their property. So being able to leverage or tap into that, that increase in equity um, from their home provides that down payment. Because the big thing with a rental portfolio is having that 20% down payment and it has to be from a non-borrowed source. However, equity from a home is acceptable borrowed financing. So that is a great resource to be able to tap into to be able to get into that first rental property if you have an existing home already. And then Lindsay, you mentioned the other one is if you 
aren't a homeowner right now, the best way to be able to look at being able to help you get into that market is identifying a property that has a multiple stream of income. So getting that duplex or the one with the basement rental suite, because that additional rental income can be used to help you qualify for your mortgage financing. But also if you're an owner occupied on that property, you can get away with less than 20% as a down payment. Mm -hmm. And I think like to add to Christina's note, I think that's a really good tip. I think one thing too is if you're, you know, unsure about investing and all that good stuff, there's so many resources out there, right? Like listen to podcasts. There's, you know, of course, Lindsay's podcast, talk to like an investor focus, like realtor, look into like networking groups, just gather up that information. Uh, Like there's ample of information out there, but, but don't go unprepared is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I think um, both of you have provided so many good tips. Christina, you were starting to talk about uh, the 5%, 10% down. So I have a lot of people that are saying, I, can't, I need to wait until I save 20% down because I don't want to pay that mortgage insurance. What are your tips um, for someone that is trying to save up to that 20%? Why would it might, why might it be better to get in at a lower percent down um, rather and pay that mortgage insurance than wait to the 20%? Yeah, especially if you're getting into a property that has the rental component in it as well. Like think of that, that somebody's paying that for you on your behalf. And it's far better to get into the market now because if you're going to, as you continue to wait to be able to build that 20%, the values of property are also increasing. And so it's you're always chasing that 20%, right? And it would get difficult to be able to do that. And we can't predict how those, um, by what percentage those properties are gonna go by. So they always say the next best time to get into real estate is now. And so I would say if you don't have that 20% and you're looking to get into an owner-occupied property, go in, get it, buy it, and uh, and then let that appreciation and that, that growth of that property value build that 20% equity for you. And not to mention, I don't know if the listeners know this, but um, if you're getting an insured mortgage, so down payment less than 20%, the rates are a little bit lower. So so that's why, like, if that's, if you need another incentive, like you get the best cream of the crop interest rates, if you get an insured mortgage, hundred percent, hands down. Yeah. Amazing. Those are all such good tips. And I completely <laughs> agree with you. I, I think that that's how I've been able to grow um, in real estate so quickly was starting with the 5%. And when I started mm-hmm. And I bought my first condo five years ago. It was at a much more affordable price. But if I had waited till I had 20% down, I would not be into the market because the prices had gone up to where I wouldn't have gotten in at that price point. So I think those are all good tips. And I've taken lots of your time. You've given such great information all across the board. Um, let us know where can we get in touch with you? Um, what should we have prepared if we want to work with you? I know that that's a big one. Uh, Christina, I'll pass it to you. And then if you want to pass it to Kim. Perfect. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Mortgages by Christina. That's probably the easiest way to remember how to find me. And all my contact information will be there and happy to be able to help. Again, as I mentioned, we're in the Southern Ontario region. So anywhere in Ontario that you want to be able to look at certainly can be able to help you out and look forward to being able to do so. 
Oh, see my side. I'm not, I don't have a mortgages by Christina. Right. And, and my name <laughs> is very common. So I was like, I'm like a nomad. <laughs> so I think like the best way to reach me anyways, would be um, email. Right. Uh, Cause even if you search up mortgages by Kim Nguyen, I'll tell you guys, there's actually a few because my name is so common. <laughs> so you might be rerouted to someone in the U S but uh, the best way would be email. So Kim at vinegroup.ca. I'm sure Lindsay, you'll have that uh, under your links as well too, but Kim at vinegroup.ca is going to be the best. And then usually I always say, I always like to jump on a phone call first. I'm sure Christina, you're the same way too. Our processes are very similar. We like to get to know you first, right? And then see where we can help you out. And then from there, we'll let you know, you know, what's the next steps, what documents we'll need. But, um, you know, generally for like a full-blown review, like we'll customize it to, um, because sometimes there's certain documents that won't be applicable to everyone, right? But first, it depends. Because it depends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so like the best thing is, uh, you know, schedule a call and then, and then take it from there. Awesome. I think the title of this episode will be, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, yes, all the links are in, will be in the, um, the chat below, whatever that is called <laughs> Lo losing the words. It's been a, a long chat, um, which has been really great. And I'm so thankful for both of you ladies for jumping on and um, giving the listeners and viewers so much knowledge and uh, look forward to connecting with both of you again. Thanks, Thanks Lindsay. Again. Our pleasure for, thanks for having us.